Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, listeners, and welcome to New Books and Celebration Studies, a podcast from the New Books Network. I am Emily Allen, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, I am talking to members of the Stooges Brass Band and ethnomusicologist Kyle DeCoste about their book, Can't Be Faded, 20 Years in the New Orleans Brass Band Game, published by the University Press of Mississippi in 2020. Can't Be Faded is a collaboration between musician and ethnomusicologist Kyle DeCoste and more than a dozen members of the Stooges Brass Band, past and present. The book is both a personal account of the Stooges' careers and a story of the city's musicians. The Stooges Brass Band is based in New Orleans, Louisiana. They are known for incorporating elements of hip-hop, funk, and R&B into a more traditional brass band framework. In April 2011, the Stooges Brass Band won the Best Contemporary Brass Band Award from the Big Easy Music Awards. Today we have four members of the Stooges Brass Band with us. First is Walter Ramsey, tuba player, trombonist, and leader of the Stooges Brass Band. We also have with us Al Groh, an active trombonist in New Orleans, Louisiana, who's also performed with the Southern University Marching Band and the Free Agents Brass Band, to name a couple. Our third... Stooges guest is Garfield Bogan, a multi-talented musician with chops on trombone, drums, and vocals. Finally, we have Andrew Bayham here, who's taken on the roles of trumpet player and producer in the band. Our other main guest with us is Kyle DeCoste, who is a PhD candidate in ethnomusicology at Columbia University. His dissertation explores the cultural politics of childhood and Black popular music in the United States. So, Kyle DeCoste and Stooges Brass Band, welcome to New Books and Celebration Studies. So, before we start getting into the book, why don't y'all tell us a little bit more about yourselves? Uh, I'll go first. My name is Alfred Rowe III. They like to call me Uncle Al. Uh, Started my musical career at Livingston Middle School and marching band, uh, taught by Mr. Darrell Dickinson. Went on to McDonough 35. Slight pause for McDonough 35. Uh, one of the best high schools in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, then I went on to the illustrious Southern University Marching, uh, well, Southern University, where I participated in the Southern University Marching Band. Uh, that's where, under the expert tutelage of Dr. Isaac Griggs, I uh, learned how to be a leader section leader and everyone thing else in music and while i was at southern i ventured off into the stooges brass band uh under the direction of walter ward and ramsey and all the guys and we uh started that started i started in like 1998 and uh been in there ever since uh i've ventured off to a couple other bands I, i'm not sure exactly how you got the hot boys brass band because that was like a little stint but that's okay uh i ventured off into that and uh <laughs> and we had a couple other bands, Most Wanted Brass Band, uh, Free Agents Brass Band, and uh, a couple other different things. But uh, 20 years in the game, 25 years in the game, you know, and I'm, I'm almost an alumni member. I'm just, I'm teetering on becoming an alumni member after COVID. But that, that's my story. That's my story. Y'all like that? Yeah. That was nice. That was, that was nice. Okay. That was great. Nailed it. I think it sounds great, Al. Good job. Good job. All right, right, I guess it's my turn. Go for it. Uh, My name is Drew. Drew Baham. I go by the name of Fessa. 
been in the, one of the founding members of the Stooges Brass Band. Uh, got my beginnings uh, at William C.C. Claiborne Elementary School. Uh, Donald Batiste was my, my band director at the time. He the one, he was the first one to put a cornet in my hand. Um, the rest is history. Uh, from there, I went to John F. Kennedy, the best school in the land, with the best band in the land. Uh, I later went on to uh, Berkeley College of Music um, to study film scoring. Uh, but I came back home because um, as beautiful and uh, uh, sprawling as, you know, the, the scene was out there, I felt the need to come home and do the same thing that was happening there. And so, you know, my, my stint has been kind of in and out with the Stooges since, since the beginning, since the birth. And, um, you know, glad to be in a celebration. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, my name is Walter Ramsey, um, one of the co-founders of the Stooges. I started in elementary school and at a school called Garay Elementary School. I used to carry a trombone that was taller than me at the time. Uh, my band director was Mr. Knight. Uh, I always uh, liked playing instruments, but my background from second line started with my family. My grandfather was one of the guys who helped, like, helped the Dirty Dozens get started in they band. My father was a, a second liner with Associated Pleasure Club called Scene Boosters. So I, I was born into the culture and been around it and then uh, danced in the culture for a few years from, I want to say from three, years, three to seven, something like that, part of a second line club. And, but I always wanted to play the music. So even in elementary, I just wanted a band and learn how to play the music. And, um, Eventually, moved to junior high school, went to uh, Colton and uh, studied music some more, and then uh, wind up at John, John F. Kennedy High School, where I met most of these fellas. And, uh, and yes, it's the best high school in the land down here. We know Alfred went to a different one than some of the other guys. But, you know, we went to the best one. And, um, stick, stick to you, buddy. Sorry, stick, to you. Stick, stick to you, buddy. We're talking about you right now. Okay. And then we also we also was able to attend a, a performing arts school called NOCA because we went to uh, Kennedy. So we spent half of the day at our regular high school, then the other half at NOCA. And that's because of Andrew Bayham. We made sure all of us got at NOCA and to study and get our chops up better. And then we then we formed the Stooges, and now we're twenty five years history. Great, thank you for sharing. Your story. Hey. Sounds like you have quite a journey. Hey, oh, we forgot one. Ursul. Say the best for last. <laughs> Say the best for last. I started my musical. Uh, I'm not going to speak as clearly and as professional as L because I didn't go to one of the best high schools. Um, <laughs> but I started my musical career at church. Pastor uh, Reverend Andrew Darby, senior pastor, and uh, then 
I didn't get into like marching band and, until I got to junior high school. And I went to Gregory where I met Andrew Beham. Um, then from Gregory, I still wasn't in brass band music and nor was I in the culture. Um, I met Andrew Beham. And once I got to Kennedy, we were all going to Noka and I was playing tuba at the time. But Kennedy were playing drums for Noka and they, they called me and was like, yo, you know, what's up with you? You want to play in our, our band? And I was like, what kind of band? I'm, I'm about it. And they was like, Stooges. So I came on D2. I'm not a founding member. I'm one of the members that they found. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Noka, uh, what else? From the Nine Ward. Uh, these guys brought me to the the second line tradition. And uh, I've been here for 25 years, and now I'm the uh, founder of Save Our Brass Culture Foundation and New Orleans Original Brass Fest. That's uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> am, am I supposed to introduce myself too, Emily? Sure. Go for it, Kyle. I have a question before he introduces himself. Yeah. What, what is that behind his name? What is all that extra stuff behind his name? <laughs> Kyle the what? The musical what? But ethnomusicologist? Ethnical musicologist. Ethnomusicologist. Ethnomusicologist. All right. Let's go, Kyle. Your turn. <clears throat> hey, I'm Kyle. Uh, I'm an ethnomusicologist, uh, meaning that I just write about music and write about musicians, uh, mostly. Um, and I'm from Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, I moved down to New Orleans in 2013. Uh, met the guys in the Stooges in 2015, I think it was, and that's when we started writing the book. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm at Columbia University. Uh, I'm a trumpet player. I don't play a whole lot anymore, um, but I mostly write about music. And uh, yeah, that that's kind of my story, I guess. Great, thank you all for sharing the story behind the story. I guess <laughs> I'm here. Sounds like you all have such diverse backgrounds but have come together to kind of celebrate this group that you're also like directly involved in or at least like in Kyle's case like have been around for you know half a decade like I said earlier at this point um so thank you all for kind of contextualizing everything at the you know at the beginning of the episode so getting into the book itself here Let's start with a little bit of background about these five years or so. Can you talk to me about your process of writing the book? I think it's particularly interesting here because you have a co-authored project. So tell me a little bit more about that. Um, well, I can speak a little bit to that. And, you know, Walt and, and Drew and I were talking a bit before the interview about you know, kind of the, how there have been a lot of culture vultures, basically, you know, coming into New Orleans and, you know, writing about brass bands or, or writing about any sort of New Orleans culture, um, black culture in particular. Um, and, you know, either not checking in, never, um, never following up with things. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen a book where Al has, we were talking, um, you know, Al's been in a book and he's been labeled Walter Ramsey before, like a big picture, you know, like <laughs> that is the sort of thing that. That was, that really, hurt. That yeah. Hurt. Yeah. That's you know, 
I love, I, I, love, I, I, love <laughs> I love my brother so much. But that hurt. It did. It did. It did. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, I believe that everybody who's been, you know, photographed, you know, in our, you know, circle has probably been the victim to just, you know, not being named one thing or another at some point. Uh, <laughs> because because of the vultures who said, who never checked anything. So, yeah, they just went on, you know, who is that? And they'll say somebody's name and that, you know, you don't know them either. <laughs> wow. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, for me at least, like, it was important that the, the book be co-authored and that we work together on it so that, you know, because it's, it's not necessarily my place to tell these stories, you know, I think it's the band's place. And so um, to an extent, you know, I kind of want to step out of the way and, and um, you know, we've worked on this kind of collaboratively over the last bunch of years, like 20 bajillion phone calls and texts and stuff. Um, but yeah, kind of the idea, I guess, behind it is to, is to work on something um, kind of as a team so that everyone's building things up together. And that's kind of, that's kind of the model that I've, I've, I'm working through just, just as, you know, someone who wants to think about writing and, and writing about people very ethically. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'll say that uh, for my bit and uh, maybe open it up to the guys. So, so one of the things we really wanted to do is own our own stories also. So we, we didn't want our story to be depicted by uh, anyone else or any other circumstance. So, uh, we five years ago came together and said, you know, instead of us trying to focus on doing another album or us focus on other things, let's let's start uh, immoralizing ourselves, you know, because people pass down books for years, years and years to come. So, uh, Kyle, what's uh, I can't remember my guy's name. Is Matt? Matt? Matt, yeah. So we reached out to Matt because we knew Matt was into that uh, that type field. So. And just to uh, clarify, is, it's Matt Sakakini. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so Matt introduced us to Kyle. And uh, from there, you know, luckily, we were able to start right then and there because uh, within that time, we lost one of our uh, brothers. And, uh, and it was great that, you know, because when we reached out to him, uh, he wanted, he really, really wanted us to do that because he really wanted to get his story told. Uh, I think he kind of had a premonition that that he was uh, coming close to his date. So he put his all into the book, you know, he put his all into the interviews and, and, and it was a, it was, it wound up being a great thing. We were able to capture his, his story from him uh, before he died. So that's, that was the, the premise of doing everything is just to, to make sure that we, we, we were able to sp speak our word for our kids uh, to know who we were and to put it in the book. So I think that's, I think that's the, uh, the gist of it. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really powerful model that y'all have set here that could benefit, you know, other musician collaborative projects too. And I think the, I want to add, the, I think one of the greatest things about finding someone who is going to uh, introspectively write the book um, their perspective through their lens uh, is, I think, one of the most important parts about even dealing with a, a memoir or something of that nature, because it's, you know, it's the writer who gathers the perspectives and kind of puts, you know, who adds his own perspective to it, one. 
and who most importantly gives the perspective that, you know, draws in the, in the true light instead of, you know, uh, washing a couple of things here and there, you know, it's, it's that person, because a person like the writer, you know, and uh, Kyle is a great example, is that, you know, the perspective that he puts out there and the perspective that from where he, from where he writes it from uh, gives it the justice that we like kind of look for. I'm about to be petty. And because mm-hmm. and he interviewed us, I use the word like like 50 times every time I speak and Andrew used the word you know. And it's, it's good that he could take those lines out the book. <laughs> I understand. That's, I have a bunch of you knows that I always throw into. That's what editing is all about, Walt. I just oh, put all those I'm just being petty. I'm being petty. Sorry. Y'all are good. Yeah, that sounds like it's been a great process in doing that. And both like y'all were getting at very complimentary to one another in that way. So I'm excited to see y'all's book come out really before too long and, you know, get those stories shared with all those perspectives and collaborative work. Uh, going on to also um, the title of the book, of course, right? Towards the end of the book, y'all summarize kind of the title as saying, quote, can't be faded as a story of lives lived and experiences had as the Stooges first original song proudly declares they can't be faded and their story can't be faded either, end quote. So can you all explain the significance of that book title to our listeners? So, uh, if y'all, um, so can't be faded is really like when we was coming up and we was learning this music, we, we had a hard time. We, we received a lot of rejection from a lot of other bands, a lot of other musicians, a lot, you know, so it was like, we, we can't let, this can do two things. We could tell it tells down and be like, we shouldn't do this. Uh, we should just push through it and just be like, man. So it's like, we can't be faded. Like we, we, we they, they gonna have to know us. We can't die down, you know? So it speaks that like of why, why it's called can't be faded. Anybody else want to jump in? Well, I was about to add, I was about to add, um, the main reason why is because we had the mentality was like, all right, look, if you're not going to kind of respect us, we're going to be so much bigger than you to where is that you have no other choice but to respect us and, you know, and even join with us because we are going to do all the necessary things that y'all are not doing to be successful. So that's where like the whole can't be faded <laughs> mantra uh, was was really born from because I remember there was a number of times when uh, <laughs> I actually I'm, I'm about to go one time um, I was I, I left them with school and the band was still playing and so they always used to be like man y'all sound like a college band y'all say you know then y'all a marching band y'all just sound like da 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 but we always looked presentable like really presentable we always presented ourselves in a way that like people are going to know exactly who we were and so that included our instruments so one day like the band well actually the band had gotten whole all pretty much everybody in the band had got new instruments 
And so uh, one of our other colleagues, Jamil, Jamil Williams, he, uh, he had just started playing with the band too. So, <laughs> you know, so they was going to do a second line. So you look at that front row, all brand new horns, everybody dressed to the T, the whole nine uh, for a second line. And so one of the cats from other brass band was like, damn, they wouldn't got another one. Damn, they really like they really look like a band now, you know. So it's it's one of those things. And they he was one of the main ones telling us get out of the get out of the six wall. You know, you don't belong here, you know. So it's it's one of those it's the it's the mantra of can't be faded because we're gonna do everything that we need to be need to do to be successful. Period. All right. So now can I keep it real? There first, go ahead. And really, you first, can. first, first, can y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah. All right. So first, uh, Can't Be Faded comes from a song that was written by, what, Walter, you wrote it, right? Yeah, and Drew. Drew, Walter, Drew. It is a song. Uh, but the song originated uh, as originally because these guys, I, I joined the band in 98. These guys was cocky, man. Uh, it was, they, they were really guys that, that was confident. Really? Really? Confident really? in, in, in <laughs> what they did. I mean, I'm gonna just keep it real. They were confident in what they did. I mean, we used to go places, and was, and people on the side be like, "Oh Lord, they go to Stooges because they stuck together. They wore the same thing, and they used to have a, a saying. They were saying, "Not the Burt, not the Eight, not the Rascals, but the Stooges." And every time you you saw them, it was E. Joe, Wall, sometimes uh, Ursel, and you know, a real cocky. So. Uh, it, 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 it lends to, to the fact of we can't be faded, we can't be touched. Uh, you're going to have to bring your best to conquer us because we're the best. And, and, it, and we live, and you know, they live by, by that. I mean, it, they were branded like that. So when I joined the band, you know, it became a, because I, I want to be one of the older members of the band when I joined. So it became, and I told them once before, I said, man, you know, those guys really, they don't like y'all because they feel like y'all too cocky, too confident. Uh, you know, Walters was one of the guys that was really, really confident. So it became a, when they see me, they was like, what's up, man? And then they see Walt, they was like, oh, man, you with him, such and such, such and such. But throughout the years, they understood that confidence came with something, you know? It was branded like that, you know? You, 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 if you live like that, you think like that, you're you going to receive blessings and you're going to, you know, get what you need to get like that. So... But it, it, it came from, we can't be faded. We can't be touched. You're not going to touch us. If you do try to touch us, we're going to go around you and we're going to figure it out. So that's the, that's the other side of it. I mean, some, some people will say one side, okay, they, they, you know, which they did. But at the other, at the other end, yeah, we're, we're real cocky. We come into the second line. We're going to grab the crowd. We're going to do something that, that's going to be different from everybody else. And everybody going to want. We used to have a mantra saying, we'll take your songs and we'll make it a hit. Meaning, we'll grab whatever you play, and we're going to play and change the words of it, and we're going to have the whole crowd singing our words to your So when you play the song again, they're going to sing the words that we knew. That's, that's, that, that's that golf film. <laughs> that's that so golf film. So, 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 so in essence, it was just a, 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 a cockiness of being that, you know, we, we're not going to be touched by nobody. That's right. real. And I mean, just like from a writing standpoint, you know, like to me, like the book is really the beginning of it, you know, like Can't Be Faded kind of speaks to the, the spirit of the book in that it's, it's about preserving that brass band history. And it's about like 
passing that on also to like younger brass band musicians. So like, I think of the word, the, you know, can't be faded is kind of encapsulating like some of that spirit, you know? Right. Thank you all. Did, for, you, did you? Yes. Appreciate that. That helps a lot with that. Um, backtracking a little bit too. So again, just kind of getting a foundation here for our listeners. There was some local terminology that you all were using there a minute ago. Can you all explain to our listeners what a second line is? Uh, so second line, second line is, uh, is music that we play to dance them. It's kind of like whatever you feel in, in your heart and your desire, however you want to express yourself is the second line. Now, history, it goes back from uh, from the jazz funerals. Uh, Andrew, you can take it from here. Explain yeah. this. So basically, jazz, uh, yeah, it, it is historically, it comes from the jazz funeral. Um, whenever someone died because um, back in the, you know, the, the early 1900s, uh, they, uh, black folks couldn't afford insurance. They weren't, uh, they weren't afforded to have insurance. So they formed a lot of the benevolent societies. And so the benevolent society would come and they were the ones who would either pay for the funeral or they would pay for the band to come uh, to, to play to play the funeral. And the procession goes is that as the hearse and the band or the first line, the mourners uh, who turn into celebration of lifers or the second line. And so that's historically, that's where it comes from, but it, it's been able to turn into something, you know, into a dance. It's, it it kind of evolved into a dance that, uh, that we, uh, that we know as, you know, so. Right. Okay. Thank you. So I think that'll help our listeners kind of be on the same page with that local terminology. Um, continuing too with kind of building this foundation so our listeners have, you know, an understanding of where this book is coming from and y'all's background. Um, you know, you do that in the introduction of the book pretty well too with kind of like laying out some terms like second line and other stuff like that. But for the podcast purposes, can y'all also talk a little bit more about the technical aspects of your band? Like what kind of instruments are typically in the Stooges Brass Band? And how would you describe the styles that y'all typically play? Uh, so, all right. So it's, it's like two separate styles. It's a traditional style, which is we'll use a snare drum and then we use a separate bass drum. And we have the tuba, and we have maybe a couple of trombones, a couple of trumpets, a, sax, a couple of saxophones. And it's like a marching band, like one row with the trombones and the saxophones and the trumpet, and a second row with the tubas and a bass drum and a snare drum. That's our original style of the Stooges. Then the second style that we have is the stage band, where we have the drum set, the keyboards, the guitar, and then some, and then the horns from the front line in that part. So we have like two separate sets of the studio. So it's the brass band style and the stage band style. And we, and mainly we use different uh, musicians for both, you know, so uh, some of us play in both, uh, have played in both. 
So um, over the years, the students became a brotherhood. So we have a lot of band members and we taught a lot of band members how to play, but that's our style, like the, two, the instrumentations of it. Got it, thank you. I think that helps our uh, kind of paint the picture a little bit too. And that ties into my next question that I have too with again, painting this picture further. Can you talk about the broader brass band scene from which y'all come from? I'm thinking about, for example, the number of bands in New Orleans, right? The types of gigs that y'all typically do at that local level. So can you talk to me about the actual music scene that y'all are in? Garfield, you on the phone? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Check in. Check. You want to uh, answer that question? Oh, uh, about second line. Just, just about the bands on the scenes and uh, and the uh, so. Uh, it's, it's it's difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. So you got to uh, to sum it up. You got brass band, traditional brass bands, um, street brass bands that you see at the second lines which started, you know, I guess in what, the way they do second lines now is not the way they did it traditionally. Um, so you got street bands and you got stage brass bands now. So uh, let's use the big six brass, brass, brass band, who is our little brother slash our children. They are like the brass band, the hot street brass band right now. Um, then you got the Stooges music group, which is a hot stage band. And uh, as far as brass band, stage band. And Junior uh, Pinstripes is the traditional. They still take on the traditional brass band feel for us, you know, keeping a tradition alive. So that's the examples of the types of brass bands. Yeah, I think that helps kind of show how diverse that scene is um, in that way. And, you know, in this scene too, can you talk to me about, you know, some of the brass band battle battles that have happened in the area? You know, in the book, for instance, you get into the Red Bull Street Kings competition. So tell me a little bit more about that, too. All right, so the Red Bull Street competition, we have uh, agents, the Soul Rebels. Well, before it was the Red Bull, we were always already doing, like, battles. And... It seems at that time we was just about to set up another battle of the bands between the Stooges, the Creators, TBC, and whoever wanted to get it at the time. That's kind of like where we was at with it. Like whoever wants some, come get some. It will actually, I don't know if they caught a whiff of it or 
someone kind of told them what was going on, but uh, they got a whiff of it and set some rules and set up some stuff to where we can actually have a a battle of the bands. And they set up at uh under the bridge. We talked a lot of stuff. We we tried to warn them that they wasn't gonna beat us throughout the whole battle. Uh, and if you if you look at the battle, we just talking about winning, and every band talked about the Stooges, the Pooges, or whatever the case may be. So we were the target, and we still ended up with the trophy. Long there you go, Al. <laughs> what? What I did? There you go, Al, talking about the cockiness, right? <laughs> yeah. There it is. There it is. There it is. We, listen, we work very hard as a band, as a group, as a team, you know, and everything we do, like, like everything we do, we sit down and we come up with it as a team. And we just, we, we grown ourselves to be on that level that, like, Look, we better than y'all. We better than this. We better than we we gonna win. I, I mean, and we we was telling them like, listen, everybody was against us, not against each other. Even though it's four bands, they not worrying about the other. Everybody worrying about us. And we was like, for us, it was like, uh, we gonna win. I mean, we we ain't worrying about none of these bands. We the street band. We know what we capable of. We know all their strengths and all their weakness, and we're going to play them, and we're going to win the competition. And we kept saying it from the first day to the end of the competition. And we won the competition. Yeah. <laughs> and so just, just to give a little bit more context, like, <clears throat> I mean, you guys were doing, like, brass band. I mean, you guys were battling brass bands out in the streets before that too, right? Like. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And that's and so, that's part of the brass band tradition, right? So just Yeah, well so 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 we can go back even further. All of us come from marching bands. And in marching bands, we kind of looked at it like march sport. Whereas we 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 brothers and, and in the intro you heard us say, you know, they went to uh John F. Kennedy, I went to McDonald's thirty five, but it was branded in us in a in a marching band arena that, you know, we was competing. We might be brothers. We might live in the same house. But you go to one school, I go to the other school. When my band see your band and marching band, we're we going to challenge. And we can challenge in loudness. We can challenge in scales. We can challenge in play. We can, however, you know, it's, it's, it's a competition type deal. So it kind of spewed over into the, into the brass band world. Whereas, you know, before we planned tradition, everyone was kumbaya. We, you know, we was, we was together. And, until it became, okay, I play with my band, you play with your band. Uh, and it was marketable. You know, I play with my band, you play with your band. My band is better than your band. Hey, I'm going to get more gigs. And at the I, end of the I, day, it, and at the end of the day, it was fun. We enjoyed yes. it. We, that was, that yes. was the whole point of it. You know? Right. Right. That was the whole point of it. And like I said, we made money. Like, a lot of people say, okay, I like that band. That band is, that band is coming professional. That band is coming. They're playing the music that we want to hear. Uh, they, that band feel like it's the best band, so I want the best band. So we was actually booking gigs off of that. So it lands, you know, that that's that that's the way the battle stuff really comes from, you know. And some people took at it to where it was good. We're gonna challenge you back, and then some people didn't. You know, some people was still part of that old, 
you know, let's do our thing. You do your thing, and you're trying to shine on me, uh, type deal. And they didn't uh, receive to her too well. So we had to deal with both. We had to deal with the ones that was ready to challenge, and we had to deal with the ones that uh, didn't understand it. So and we was ready either way. Yeah, we were ready either way. Uh, and you will read that in the book. Get the book. You're going to read everything. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to hear it all, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. And it got ugly sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, looking you at another part. about a particular battle? Hey, oh, hey. You next, beating around next, the bush? Next, next question, Miss Emily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Beating around the bush, man. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready to move on. Um yeah, y'all talking about how much fun y'all have and all your gigs and stuff. So going to another part of your like performance experiences, right? Y'all in your Stooges party chapter, for instance, get into some of your gigging experiences and, you know, kind of New Orleans nightlife. So can you talk about that part of your performance experiences as well? Uh, I'm trying to understand the question. Say it again. The, the nightlife the night, of the Stooges? Yeah. Yeah, like Thursday nights and just planning uh, clubs and stuff. Like all right. That. Yes. Disclosure, we all in marriage and committed relationships. Um, we used to have a lot of fun. We yep. did with most bad people did. <laughs> so, you know, we, 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 we had fun. I mean, we, we, we was, we played let's, music. Let's keep it to the clubs, Walter. Let's keep it to the clubs, buddy. Just we did. We played music in all the clubs, <laughs> and we was we was always business orientated. So we like if we played music, and then eventually uh, Garfield went and bought a club. You know, we 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 played his club. So we always we always looking for the next venture that we can do that's even business with part of our music, you know, so we've always been like entrepreneurs on that end and we play in clubs and we travel and we, we just have fun, you know. And I, I think the, the connecting thing about that is just that the culture in itself of just New Orleans, New Orleans music, the nightlife itself, it all correlates because in any given Saturday, we were able to do, we were able to play at 10 different clubs for parties, you know, and weddings and that, those, those type of things. And so I, the, the nightlife always lent itself to a good story. Uh, and a bad story. You good book, good band stories. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that was the, that was the fun part about it for us anyways, because we were able to be a part of the culture and knowing, knowing that, we are, uh, uh, we are the ones that make the people dance, make the people laugh and have fun, forget about their troubles, all of those things. And so it was just a, co uh, a connection that was just kind of natural because that's just the way New Orleans is. I think I got caught in the Catch-22 of the nightlife. I think so. I'm the one with the baby mama dramas of the clique. And my baby mamas came from the nightlife. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So another another aspect of it, we we kind of followed like at that time because we can't you know bad started in '96, and at that time you remember Master P, Percy Miller was the 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 the, the dawn of doing things his way, and, and and instead of just getting a deal, getting a distribution deal or whatever. So we kind of took toward that, like you know we're not just wanting to be a band. We want you know we want to dip into everything. We want own. We want to we want to lend our hand in every way. So you know one of the things we we coined was playing on certain nights, you know, and, and one of the things we, we had to come together as a group and say, what we'll, would we'll, we'll be one of the nights that we can grab that's, that Rebird or any of these other bands was, wasn't playing on that we can grab and call it our own and, you know, and do our thing. So we started playing a lot on Thursdays. And, you know, we didn't want people just to come out just to hear a brass band, play horns, and then go home. We wanted to make it a, an adventure. You know, when you come to the Stooges party, you come in and hear the band. You come in and see us clown and rap and sing on the stage. We might jump into the crowd. We might have a, a pajama party. We might, it was going to be an adventure. It gave you a reason to say, you know what? I can't wait to Thursday. You know what I'm saying? So that was one of the things we, we, we wanted to make you, when you first wake up on Thursday, you, you thinking about, I'm going to see the students. And then when you leave that club, you're going to say, man, I had the best time of my life. That was our goal. We, we had experiences. People, yeah. We, we, we wanted people to fly down just to come see us on those in particular nights. So that, 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 that's lending of our shows. That's lending of what we do. I'm talking about if it's not a Thursday, even with the stage band. We want you to say that experience there gave me nothing but energy. I feel like I can go and, and, and jump uh, from interstate to interstate and, and hop and skip. You, we want you to leave that place with just feeling like you can do anything, that you above yeah. anyone. You know what I'm saying? So that's our experience. That's what we want. Energy. That's what, and that's what we gave. We, we, we did that. We, I'm proud of y'all, bro. Y'all did that. Hey, man. That's why we put it in the book. And yeah. Kyle wrote it. And Kyle wrote it. We, we wrote gave, it together, we even, Al. We, yeah, we even, we even gave Kyle energy. Look, he's married and everything right now. That's he's true. married, that's man. <laughs> oh, that's right. Congrats, Kyle. relationship advice from Al over the years. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. But, um, you know, like. Hey, he the best one to give relationship advice. He is definitely the best one to give relationship <laughs> advice. <laughs> I didn't I did have, I have regular songs, Stooges Party Dance songs. I didn't have. The uh, baby mama dramas, one of the girl songs, one of the girls, one of them girls, got that jungle. So, I got caught up in the moment. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we live, we, we still oh. here. Go ahead, Kyle. No, I mean, you know, so. <laughs> Kind of sidestepping that that part of the question, um, you know, the, the the one really th cool thing to me is like every single Thursday that I was down in New Orleans over the summer, I could always go see the Stooges. I could always pop in and say, you know, what's up? See the same people every, you know, pretty much every Thursday night. And uh, and, it, and it's, you know, out, it was always an adventure, at least for me over the last few years. Right. Um, you know, I wasn't there. The Stooges, you know, had uh, ownership of the hi-ho. We're running that for a while. Um, you know, so they, they had a very legendary gig at, at, at one point. And right now, you know, I mean, before COVID, uh, they were building up um, and had built up like a really great Thursday night gig at the well in New Orleans. What, what, what it was called, Kyle? 
It was Thick Thigh Thursday, Al. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my yes. God, that's great. Yes. And and I will say that the the entire I mean that thing was run by women. It was like Sean, like Al's wife, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and what's your name at the bar, Al? Lisa, 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 Lisa Lynn, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so don't act like, like you don't know your wife. Your <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, Garfield. But you know, but the. <laughs> You know, just just the fact that you could that you could show up, you know, once a week and like see everyone again. And, you know, even for me, like dropping into town, like, um, you know, just for the summer, you know, when I could. Right. Um, it was always nice to, to have a Thursday night, to have a thing to go to, to have people to see, you know, people to catch up with. And, and, hey, like and, so think, and, oh, go ahead. Al. And another thing we 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 we, we touch upon is uh, times of now like now times. And you know, right now we're dealing with a lot of different difficult subjects, you know, Black Lives Matter and different things of that nature. And one thing we always uh, made sure in our show is that everyone, once you come into a Stooges show, we're brothers and sisters, we're family. I don't care what your cultural background, what your ethnicity is, it didn't matter. Once you come around us, we're all family, you know, and, 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 we, and we celebrate it like that. You know, we might, we, Certain parts of a song, we might do a call out and we go grab different members of the band. And we may, and we just have fun. I remember a couple of times I called Kyle and asked him the second line. And, I, and just imagine, he's a white guy and he's amongst probably a good 40 to 50, maybe 60 African-American. And, and we all saw him dancing and everybody chuckled at the same time. You know, everybody laughed, <laughs> but he didn't feel like we were laughing at him. He felt like we were laughing with him. So it's, it's just an experience that, and I, I think that in our experience of being at the high hole, that would made us a lot different, you know, that we accepted everybody to come in. It didn't matter who you were, you know what I'm saying? Come in, have a good time, come party with us. And then when we go home, we deal with the outside later. But inside our Stooges show, we all family. Yeah, it sounds like y'all have a very strong sense of community. Um, and this also, you know, comes up very clearly in later chapter 12, your Stooges 101 approach, you know, within your group to build up players. Can you talk about the Stooges 101 approach that y'all have? So I don't know how that, I don't really know how that happened. It's just that we, um, we, we have band members and with like let's say Andrew went to college, then we had to pick up a new band member. And you know, so after a while it was just everybody started coming to us and they want to join the band. And we was like, uh so it just started becoming a brotherhood. We'll bring them in. We we did not turn people around. We even had them audition and they didn't do well in the first audition. We made L turn them around. Yeah, Al always was the bad guy. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> Keep it real. When you say we but, didn't turn nobody around, I'm like, we didn't, but you made L turn around. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we we we're responsible for a lot of musicians in New Orleans playing second line music. Some of them might have was playing it before, and then they stopped. And then we were always it would be ways to either we need them to join the band or we just letting them join the band just because they want to, you know. I remember uh Al Al we needed a trumpet player, Al went found someone he was marching with at Southern University. Uh the guy didn't have a trumpet, we bought a trumpet. 
he had a friend who played saxophone. We bought a saxophone. You know, like it, it, it was just, and we taught him. We taught him our way of doing this, but we was teaching him the culture. And before you know it, it just a lot of bands and a lot of band members have come through the Stooges. And I don't, it was never playing. It was just something that just happened. And some of the best musicians in New Orleans have played in the in the Stooges Brass Band. It was a, and also it was an art of teaching. You know, we we felt like if we grab them and teach them up, we 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 eventually knew a lot of them was going to move on. We rather grab them, teach them up, do what we need to do with them. So when they do move on, we can be proud of them later. And right yeah. now, right now we 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 got maybe one or two band members that come from the Stooges in pretty much every band, and it's maybe. Yeah, every brass band in the city. And, you know, they, they proud of their heritage also because when they when they really needed that help to come along, we you know, we were there. We, we reached out to them and we let them come in and learn music. And, and we also train, changed a couple of street things to uh, fit some of the members. Like uh, we had one of uh, our members, Clifton Smith. He was in college and he, he really, you know, I don't know what happened with it, but he wasn't really feeling college. He wanted to come down and play his own. And we already really had a tuba player uh, but we was like, you know, you, you, you know, if you want to play your horn, come on down and we're going to figure it out. And in the process of us playing second lines, we were really hot that year. In the process of playing second lines, Walt was like, well, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to split the money even, but uh, we're going to have you play on, with me so I can train you on how, you know, how we run the second lines, how we do, because Walt really wanted to play his trombone. So we was like, look, we're going to train you on how to do it. But what happened was the reverse mm -hmm. psychology the, the people in the second line was like, oh, we like the two tubers. So the club that booked us for the next second line was like, we want those two tubers again. Then we did it again. And then the club the next week was like, ah, y'all ain't going to cheat us. We want the same thing. And it became a thing. So now at, at one time, it was only one tuba player played the second line. All the way up to today, that may have happened maybe 10, 15 years ago. All the way up to today, they, you can't do a second line in New Orleans without having two tuba players. That's on herself. made sure that happened. Garfield, man, you play and he played. The other version of it is, I'm going to say it was Flash Fault. Flash Fault. We battled the Rebirth. We went battled the Rebirth one one Thursday. They took our club, the Rock Bottom. And we was playing on Claiborne. And we didn't have our crowd. So we was like, man, our crowd uptown. I was like, man, let's go blow at the rebirth. Of course, Uncle L was like, oh, Lord. I, and I'm about to do it again. We really got to get into the story. <laughs> yeah, it's in a book. It's in a book. I'm yes. saying, do we, really, do we really have to talk about this right now, though? We were talking about how the two tubers got started. You said but the, the two But the two tubers got started before then, huh? Yeah, they did. But Miss Emily, don't you have to uh bring it to the uh conclusion sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the first two tuba episode. Let's let's save that to the book, man. Let's save that for the book. Let's let's save because I, I, I see the ramifications of that when the book come out. So I'm, I'm trying to, uh, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to avoid that right now. Because believe it or not, some of us are still good friends with these people that that's in the book, and they might, you know, it's it's different. So, 
they'll have to really buy the book and read it. Yeah, and find out. yeah exactly. Yeah, it's a little buy the book, brother. That's what we got. That's what we got to uh, realize. We got to let them buy the book, man. We can't give them everything. We can't give them all the sauce. Oh yeah, you got to tease them with it. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good story. Trust me, it's a good story, y'all. I'm yeah, neglect, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting it for a reason. It's a good story. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot though. What what I, what I enjoyed about the book is um, me reading the book. I got to hear like the band members' point of views, you know, like of how they felt about certain things, you know, uh, certain certain. It could and it could have been anything like issues with me, uh, issues with other band members, uh or whatever it may be, it, uh, reading that helped me look at some of the point of views that I probably didn't see when they was trying to tell me, um, you know, uh, uh, some I maybe overlooked, you know, so it was very, it was very fulfilling for me to like read them stories and, and understand and be like, oh, all right, you was feeling like this and I didn't even know, you know, because we deal with so much as a team you know, we we a band, but we we also a business on every level of things that we do. Like, uh, you know, like, and I, I always call on herself because he gonna come up with the phrase for everything. You know, we started off at Little Stooges, and then we started Living Swell Production, and and different stuff. So we all we all work together as a team, as business partners, as well as musicians. So some things. In these stories, you know, as a musician, we might—I might have overlooked some stuff, and reading this book have showed me that, you know, and taught me. I was like, oh, I didn't even, you know, my bad, you know, because we deal with so much on a daily basis. You know, we family, we, you know, we we friends, we brothers, and we all intertwine in business together, you know. So it's, it's like we work so much stuff together that some in music or some in business could have been overlooked and, and you know and it came out in a book and you can hear the stories and they'll be like, oh all right, you know. And and another thing, we never let each other down or anything. If you got an idea, we we all for it. You know what I'm saying? My brother Ursel uh has a lot of ideas and you know. We go with them. We go with them, you know. We, Damn, some oh, some of them, some of them good, some of them bad. But we go with them no matter what. We 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 form. So yeah, man, I like that. I like to say he throw us in the deep water, and we all have to swim back to shore. But we, we survive. Him, yeah, we, we swim with him though. <laughs> but we did you die? Him. You didn't die. You didn't die. That was one of the things we'll say. But did you die? We didn't die. So we. <laughs> We, you know, we, and we swim with them. And, and right now, you know, I don't know if you, you about to ask the question about future, but right now we, uh, we doing something really, really good. And, and it's thanks to the idea of him, you know what I'm saying? His, his right. Cause he, he actually spoke this into existence years and years ago. And, and when he spoke it, you know, sometimes we look, we, we think we like ourselves, you know, how does, come on, man, you know, that ain't gonna, and he fought for it and he fought for it. And once we realize, okay, he's fighting his hard for it as friends and as his partners and as his brothers, we should fight for it too. And it's becoming, I think, and my aspect is becoming a great thing because we were able, in our years, in our vast years, we're able to have a, a part of the culture 
and we don't have to necessarily play our horns to have that that voice. So right. it's giving us another look at uh, playing musician and helping other kids come up playing. You know, I have kids that I have a kid that's playing, and you know, it's it's giving us that future. So I don't want to overstep your your interview, but I, I just wanted to let that be known that if it don't get be known, you know what I'm saying? My, my brother Ursel always had the ideas. Like I said, some of them good, some of them ah, uh, but we went with them. That's our brother. Yeah, thank y'all for, it's interesting to hear about kind of the reflexivity y'all have, you know, now that the book's done and y'all have had a chance to kind of think back on all your experiences, right, um, over the years and stuff. And it's really like a tribute to the band and past members and whatnot. Um, And moving to kind of the big picture of the book too, um, y'all started to get this earlier in terms of how much, you know, is going on right now with like Black Lives Matter and particularly in the chapter about Joe Williams, right? There's a lot there about anti-black police murders going on that resonates in y'all's song, why they had to kill him. And so thinking about stuff like that, what do you think a reader could learn from this book in terms of contemporary political and social issues? Mr. Eric Dyson. Yeah, that's that's Fessa. That's 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 a Fessa all the way around question right there. <laughs> well, being from the very almost from the very beginning of, of putting this group together, we've always, you know, ingratiated ourselves with uh the issues of the day and just the influences of the day or that type of thing. And we always, you know, New Orleans has always been, you know, kind of labeled no murder capital since the late 80s and so we deal with just the the tension of uh black people the black community and law enforcement for a very far longer than probably most other cities and then in that regard so it was almost just easy i can say you know but it was rather uh, the inspiration itself was easy to come up with, you know, to get involved in just like political matters, like why, you know, like, you know, uh, doing a song, why they had to kill him. Um, And it was just a springboard for our contribution to the movement. It was the springboard for the conversation uh, that pretty much wasn't had until then. Uh, We talking about what, 2000, Four, yeah, um, 2004, I think it was. Yeah, 2004. You know, and, uh, what was it like 2004. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, you know, 2004. Yeah. yeah, 2004. So 2004 was we were literally having the beginning of that conversation. Um, to whereas that people were actually kind of listening, like one. Uh, like we were saying before, we were uh, stewards of the culture. So if it was going on in the culture, we had our hand in, you know, you know, organizing it or, you know, being the theme for, you know, or giving something to talk about. So the, the issue itself has always been there. And we, and as long as we've been a band, we've always been able to just, 
uh, asked that question and why, and in and, and the song, the Herald, you know, the, the staple song still heralds today why they had to kill him. They had the nerve to say they protect and serve. So, you know, it's not a gripe with just police in general, but it's just those cases in which there are, you know, many African-American black men and women who are dying at the hands of the people who are supposed to protect us or who have the, the you know, the, the role of protecting us. And so our cry, our war cry, isn't any different than what's going on in black America, period. But right. we've just been able to put it in song form and get the culture to talk about it. Yeah, because our friend Joe, which uh, played in the Stooges, uh, before he played in the Hyde at the time he got killed, he played with the Hyde Brass Man. His brother also played tuba with the Stooges and my cousins. Um, it, he was going to a gig and, um, and, and I believe they said they thought the car was a, a stolen car. Now, mind you, some musicians- And they thought his trombone was a, uh, was a, was a, a gun. A gun. So, you know, as he was getting out of the car and he had grabbed his trombone with his horn case, they thought it was a gun. And so without asking him or without saying certain stuff, they shot him 17 times. It's like 17 times, you know, I can see if you, just the benefit of the doubt, which I never give them, but what about one shot? 17 shots? So that hurt us. And, um, and, and we was called, and it was probably the first major tragic thing that we was experiencing as a, as a band, as a whole together. Like one of our brothers got killed. You know, so we got to the scene and we, you know, and I, I kept asking them, well, why you killed them? Why you had to kill him? You know, like, why you killed him? Like, if, like, and, and the, I remember the detective at the time was telling me, well, we're trying to investigate it. His, uh, the police thought his horn was a, was a gun. And I was like, well, why shoot him 17 times? You know, like, what, what, I need answers. Like, why? I have my family crying here. I have my brothers crying. And we 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 looking at one of our brothers dead on the ground. And this someone we shared a lot of a lot of stories with, a person that that can't be that his story of how he felt about the students can't be written in this book because y'all killed him. You know, you took a life from us. And 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 that that need answers. You know, and, and unfortunately, it's still doing it today, and it's still hurt. Every time a black person get killed, it hurts, especially for no reason at all. It's like it, it, it hurts us. It hurts us as a, a black race. It hurts us as just people in society. Like, come on, like we are we animals? Uh, you know, so that so. Writing that song was was the hardest thing as a creator to write because we're writing about our friend. We wrote this song in Japan and we sat in separate rooms, but the rooms were so small we could beat on the wall and start humming. We didn't even have our instruments. We just start humming and singing. 
and we all got together and we had a sound check for our show in, in Japan and and we created the song with the sound check and and we just all started crying because we was just this yesterday our brother got killed and today we got to perform in Japan and this that 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 pain still resonated with us today every time someone get killed by the police and it's just it's just perfect. And one and one of the things I wanted to say is that the the main difference of when when Joe uh, was killed and right now with uh, George Floyd is uh, cameras. We didn't have iPhones and and uh, all these other different types of phones to be able to film what we saw with our own two eyes and and what actually happened. So it it becomes a he said she said thing and and at that point at that time the police pretty much was always right. It, you know what I'm saying? That the, the perpetrator was wrong, and, or his background, such and such, blase, blase, and, and like I said, that the only thing that was different between then and now is is the phone. So it actually, I mean, it it hasn't changed because I mean, one thing we did say inside the song is we're gonna rock it till the day we die, and it keeps his name relevant. Like uh, a lot of the young musicians never known who Joe was, and. But all, all they know about Joe is we got a song for him. We wrote a song about it. And um, so that song, it actually keeps him relevant. But on a, on, a, on a mad side of it, that song is still relevant to today's action. I mean, every word in that song, we could change, we could change, take Joe's name out of it and put George Floyd's name in it. We could put it, you know, Brianna. We could put a lot of different people's names in it, and it fits the same narrative. So it's like it's, it's just getting... Uh, regurgitated over and over and over and over and over again. So it's 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 bad, and I, I feel like you know we by us writing that song and keeping it relevant, it, it puts it in 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 everyone's face that this is a problem that's been going on since the beginning of the time. It's just it's evolving, and now we can actually it's the, see it's the it. proverbial it's the proverbial song that never ends. Yeah, right. We can and we can see it now. You know what I'm saying? We they, they're filming it now. It's not only that we have it in our mind, because August the third, we all got that phone call, and when we got out there, we had to actually see our brother. You know what I'm saying? Hanging. So it's 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 now we can, we don't have to go. We don't have to get a phone call to see it. You, so as you put it on your Facebook or your Instagram, it's right there in your face. So uh, I mean, and it's still are uh, being let loose. So that that part of it in itself is what hurt, and that's why, believe it or not, there's as Good policemen, like there's been times where we had we had to plea for uh, police uh, ceremonies, and I mean, with a with twenty and thirty officers of the law, and they requested to hear the song that we played. That was weird for us. It was weird for me because a lot of times I had to sing it, but it 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 is because I I think within the whole thing, the police officers know that there's some bad apples in there, and they and they punch. And they're protecting the, that that blue code, and it's like a, a quiet thing, it's like a quiet thing. But they know for a fact that the, the community is hurting, and that song brings relevance to that. And believe it or not, like I said, they request this. That was the weirdest thing in my life to have to get up there and talk about a group of people that's in that you in that in that facility and say the words that I'm about to say on this microphone, and they wanted to hear. It. So it's, right. it's it, it it crosses both. It causes both realms, and it's a problem. It's a, it's a systemic problem that we, 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 we face every day. So it's just a relevant song for now. 
Right. Absolutely. I was thinking about that when I was reading that chapter. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and con- continuing to connect us, too, to what's been going on now, you know, I was thinking about how in one chapter you had talked about talking about New Orleans specifically, right? The impact of Hurricane Katrina. And then, of course, another overwhelming crisis for a while there and ongoing in New Orleans has been the outbreak of COVID-19, right? On the gig economy and everything. So if you could add a chapter or some kind of addendum about the current state of New Orleans, what might that chapter say? <laughs> for, for, for me, I'm about to I'm about to make y'all laugh. For me, if I was to have to write a chapter about COVID, it'd be called uh, retirement. It'd be called um, uh, <laughs> alumni chapter. I mean, honestly, since COVID started, I may have played my horn maybe twice. And you know, once you once something is taken away from you for so long, and you start living without it, it becomes hard to kind of go back to it. Um, so no, when no. the COVID, yeah, it's the new norm. And the, and the COVID, so you got to understand when, how we play music in different arenas, we play for people. We play for crowds. And before this, I mean, you know, you, you could be in a, in, a, in a gig where people are just standing next to you all around you. But in the same as those germs been there, those germs been in the, in the air. It's just we never really paid attention to it. But now, psychologically, now I'm paying attention to it. Like if I'm playing a gig and somebody coughs next to me, that's almost like you spit on my shoes or you spit on me or, or you know what I'm saying? It, it becomes different and it becomes uncomfortable. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting older now and you know, there's different things that could, that could happen. So my, my opinion is, uh, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. I, it, it's going to really take a lot to, to put me back in the mode of wanting to be out there and entertain like I, I, I want to. And it's hurting, it's hurting our musicians also. I mean, you know, I, I know yourself, you, 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 you could probably talk about that with the musicians and playing the gigs and uh, just, just the streets, period. Well, <clears throat> ain't too many gigs. Uh, and I'm trying to be as far from the trouble as possible because uh, T.D. Mayor Cantrell says shut it down. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not trying to get in trouble by T.D. because she have our back as a community when it comes to Save Our Brass Culture Foundation. So um, I'm trying to stay away from as many of those gigs as possible. Um, but it's, it's hard because you have a lot of musicians, this is all they do. So it's hard to tell a musician and me, Alfred and uh, Bryce, another one of the uncles in the game that's very business uh, minded, we were talking like, well, what can the city do to help us? Like, they got all this money. Why can't they, you know, put something together to help the musicians so we can stay off the street and not have to play gigs to make a couple of dollars so they can feed their children or whatever they need to do? Well, because that's uh, another subject matter for another book, you know, for another discussion. But, uh, yeah, I understand. Right. So that's that's probably uh, gigging is is scarce right now. So you pretty much have to lean back and uh, find a trade, something that that you can do that uh, 
can maybe help somebody in this pandemic. I mean, which is what I've done. I started selling CMOS and I'm fogging buildings for disinfecting now. So that's just <clears throat> here nor there. Another, like they say, that's another discussion. But if I had a name for the, the topic for this, it'll be you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think my I think the name of my chapter will be you know uh, we'll be back small job. <laughs> <laughs> shout out shout out to Ejo. Shout out to Ejo. Small uh, job. Kind of coined that phrase, you know, is, you know anything that's pretty much kind of you know easy, you know, kind of breeze. He would just say small job. Yeah. Um, but I I think it's a it's a hump. It's no different than when Katrina happened. Um, and most of us went six months without playing or, you know, being involved in music. Uh, it's just that I I'm believe that the world is experiencing what we experienced 15 years ago. Um, it just, it's just on a, you know, I think this right now, because it's on a much grander scale, uh, it's making just musicians in general evaluate what they want to do. Or, right. you know, or just what, you know, what your purpose is on this earth. Uh, you know, changed your whole purpose, Drew? Yeah, it changed my whole purpose, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but you yeah. got to understand, man, like I literally, uh, and just, just my, you know, my, my, my background, I can literally go back to playing uh, funerals every Saturday. Every Saturday morning, there was a funeral to play since I was 15 years old. Yep. Um... You know, and we all we've all experienced the same thing. You know, we've all played, yeah, like literally, you know, and it's is a messed up way of thinking, but that's just what it is. Until you stop playing funerals. You don't recognize it. You know, you don't realize it, that's just what what kind of happens. And so, you know, you reassess what you're doing, you reassess how you're thinking. Um, I've I've divulged into uh, uh, a, a custom paint. Uh, paint uh, uh, job business, like uh, painting bikes, doing custom paint jobs, and um, you know that type of thing. I, it was something just totally different from music, but it had to be done. So I just think that it's just you know it's a small job. We'll be back. When we'll be back is just a question. Right, um, and you know in the meantime, I know it's so hard to plan anything right now, but in an ideal world, like what kind of new projects would y'all want to do next, I guess? Probably just a new Stooges album. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going, uh, I, I believe in God and, and future and I, I believe in speaking it and I've already spoken in it to Walter Sell and, and, and uh, Andrew. I want to get this book into Tyler Perry's hands or someone's mm -hmm. hands. So they can actually make some type of Netflix, Quivo, uh, documentary movie type deal. That's why I, I want it. Because I really, I really feel like our story should be not just uh, memorialized in a book. I think it should be uh, on, on a screen. I think it's a real, it's a, a real great story. I mean, and all, all the books you see in the bookstore are older, written in eight, the 19, early 1900s and all that. I mean, we, I feel like our book is one of the modern <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you I mean there's not too many books written about uh written now. Spread, 
yeah. right now about brass bands uh, now. So I feel right. like our story, I feel like if you can pick up uh, uh, different things, different magazines and, that, and they're making movies and stuff of it like that, I mean, they can actually make one for us. So I, I feel like our push is, my our push is music, you know, making a new studio CD and our push is to, to try to get this uh, book made into some type of uh, movie. Movie, yep. Some type be, of films credit. That would be really cool. Oh my gosh. Do you, do you know It'd Tyler Perry? Can, can you send this right. to Tyler Perry, Emily? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were that well connected, he's, but <laughs> hey, he's he's from New Orleans, and I can almost guarantee you somebody he know booked the Stooges Brass Band when he was coming up. So I I I, I, I really Jones feel like he is, is his cousin. Well, let's go holler at Lucky Jones. Yeah, I really feel like he he knows us, and he and he he, he can do something with this. There you go. No, if I he mean, can make if he can make Madea great. He can make the students. <laughs> <laughs> speak it into existence, Al. I'm speaking it. I'm speaking it into the hashala bushala sha. Let me find out, Al. I'm joking. I'm sorry, Miss Emily. No, y'all are great. I uh really hope that happens. Oh my god, that would be amazing. <laughs> People um, going piss themselves laughing. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, and then two, as we wrap up, I just kind of wanted to open the floor, like with this project and with y'all's experiences. Is there anything else about the book that you think the listeners should know? Read it from front to back. It has some great stories. <laughs> The great stories and great perspectives. So just we can talk me. about each other, but y'all can't talk about us. Yeah. <laughs> Let them know that, like we family. Don't yeah. don't get it twisted. And I want I want to say uh, rest in peace, Aaron Macklin. Rest in peace, Joe Fat Boy. Fat Boy Joe, uh, free little brother, uh, free yes, Sam. Uh, and all and all our students, brothers and sisters, man, I, I I really appreciate what we've been through, and it's just a culmination of it, man. This is this is what's gonna tie it all together, you know, and and we're gonna celebrate it as our brothers and sisters as one. So yeah. you know, you know, we family, and we're gonna continue to be family. We're gonna be able to share this book with our grandchildren and their yeah. grandchildren. So that that was the reason why. Uh, God put it on our mind, and he, he brought uh, Kyle into our lives, and, you know, the rest is history, so. Number one seller, 2020, man. 2020. Ain't nobody sold no books yet? Nope. Ain't nobody even made a book yet. Come Ain't on. nobody made We're... no book in 2020. We gonna, uh, give me about four five. <laughs> about the Trump. Come on. Come on. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. Yes, yes. Well, thank you all so much for coming today on uh, the episode. It was really great to talk with y'all um, and learn about your book and what y'all have been doing lately and what will hopefully happen in some post-2020 better world. God. Um, but thank you all for talking. Thank you the worst. Thank you the worst. Hey, 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 Kyle. Uh, yeah. Make sure we get Miss Emily's uh, email address. We want to send her a Stooges shirt, man. You got to You you are. You know our whole story now, so you're part of it. We got to send you a shirt. A Stooges red. 
Stewart, Stewart Jarrett, that's what we call the ladies. The oh my God, yes. <laughs> Send you a shirt, Emily, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. This is the end of our interview with the Stooges Brass Band and Kyle DeCoste about their book, Can't Be Faded, 20 Years in the New Orleans Brass Band Game, published by the University Press of Mississippi in 2020. This is Emily Allen, and I'll see you next time here on New Books and Celebration Studies, a podcast series from the New Books Network.